Hello? Hello? And can we pull the PowerPoint up? Just a second. While he's pulling that up, I'm just going to go ahead and pray. Um, Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you um, for this opportunity to share. Um, Lord, I ask that you give me your words, Lord, and not not my own. Um, Lord, as you know, I really have a heart for speaking to others about creating a God-led financial plan. And I know, Lord, you've already blessed many folks here with a God-led financial plan. So, Lord, I ask for those that do not have that, Lord, that you would help this be a starting point for them. And for those that already have it, Lord, I pray that it would be a starting point for them maybe to share with someone that they're mentoring or someone maybe that they're not mentoring now, but they will be in the future, Lord, so that we can really move forward with a plan that's created by you and not by ourselves, God. And, Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity once again. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this is really small, so I have to go up to it. So this uh, is tips for creating a God-led financial plan. Um, the first person on here is Ben Schamberger. So thank you, Ben, for the class that you did uh, two years ago um, for introducing me to Ron Blue. That's the book I have right here. Um, it's one of my favorite financial books I've ever read, and I've, at this point, read a lot. Uh, so, uh, but but I, that's probably, that was the first and my favorite. The next one is whitecoatinvestor.com. That's probably where I re- read the most on a regular basis. You guys, all, most of you know that I'm a physician, um, and he's got a, really a passion for helping get physicians out of debt because physicians make terrible financial decisions. You think, oh, physicians have you know, a good amount of money, but we, we are also in tons amount of debt, and we make really poor choices because we think we can spend more than we actually have. Um, so he's got a real big passion for that, and I also have a passion for that. Um, and then DaveRamsey.com, um, and then Dave Ramsey in general. I really enjoy listening to his radio show. Um, I love his get-out-of-debt plan. Maybe not all of his investing advice, but I love his get-out-of-debt plan. And um, most importantly, God, for giving me a heart for teaching this material. Um, a, a lot of this has really come up in my heart as I've seen the financial struggles of my patients. Um, it really is just such a tremendous burden on them. And most, for most of them, it really doesn't have to be. A lot of the folks that I see have made reasonable amounts of money in their life, but they've spent more than they have, even though they make good amounts. Um, and I think that's a lot because we try to, there's this culture of trying to keep up with the Joneses, as, as we often say, well, I need this, I need this big screen TV, and I need this, um, you know, I need the newest cell phone, and I need the nicest car, and all these things. And I'm not saying that that's, you know, the hearts of everyone here, but it really is true in our culture. So to counteract that, we have to be kind of countercultural, as we often talk about here. Um, I think one of the big things that make it possible is just the, the debt culture that we live in. It's accepted that you're supposed to live in debt almost. And it's just, it's unfortunate that it's sold that you need, you need college loans. You need a home loan. You need a mortgage. You need a car loan. You need credit card loans almost. It's almost expected of us that we have all these things. Um, did that come off? Okay. Okay. Um, so... Like I said, I I think this debt culture is what we really need to come against because I think that's one of the biggest barriers that we have um, in creating a God-led financial plan. So if we can go to the next slide, please. So this is from Psalm 24.1, and it said, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So the first tip is to recognize that God owns it all, that every single dollar in our pocket is God's. Um, Even yourself, he said, you know, I am not my own. I was bought at a price. Um, so literally everything is God. So when we're thinking about a God-led financial plan, every dollar is his. Um, so we really then are not, it's not our money. You know, I, I can't say this is my money or these are my assets or anything. It's all God's. So we are just simply stewards of the possessions. And stewards just basically means we're managers of what he's given us. Um, 
in Ron Blue's book, he says, stewardship, stewardship is the use of God-given resources for the accomplishment of God-given goals. So if everything is God's, they're the resources that he's given us to enable us to enact God-given goals. So we need to not only, first, we've got to recognize their God-given goals, but then second, recognize, I mean, sorry, recognize their God-given resources, but then second, recognize the things that we have are not for our own purposes, they're for God's purposes. So we have to seek him and find out what his goals are for our life. So if we go to the next slide. Um, it's just a slide of a hand, if you go to the next slide. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> this is, this is the, the open hand policy that, I, that, I, that Ron Blue talks about. Um, and that's basically what I would consider our posture towards God's money. So whatever he puts, whatever he places in our hands, it's all his, in the, like I said, in the first place. But as our hands open, he has the opportunity to pour more into our hand, but he also has the opportunity to take things out of our hands. So as Job says, you know, the Lord gives and he takes away, my heart will choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. But if you have this posture and your hands are facing God and he takes something out of your hand, then you say, you know what, Lord, I still trust you. My hands are still raised. I'm going to glorify your name. If he adds some more, you can say the same thing. Lord, thank you. I'm going to continue to glorify your name. So I just, I just love that, that picture of that posture. That it's all God's. Now, what would happen if you then took it and said, this is my money. You know, these are my possessions. You don't have that same open hand, and God cannot deposit into you what he would have for you. Um, so you are closing yourself off. Now, you still have the opportunity to lose because things can fall out of your hand. Your grip may not be so strong. Maybe something gets pulled out. So you can still lose, but he cannot pour out as he wills to pour out to you. Um, and so the next slide is... Um, is uh, tip number two is uh, to seek his plan in prayer. Um, you know, as you guys are formulating your own financial plan, I encourage you to submit every single piece of it before God and ask him if that's his will. Um, there's a, yeah, if we go to the, we could bring up the next piece, just hit, hit the bar again. That's just a quote from Ron Blue that I'm going to read again. It'll pull up. Um, I should have put the page on there. So... If not, I can skip it. But basically, it, basically what, the, what it says is that, um, that every single decision you make is a spiritual decision. So it's not just how much do you give to the church. It's not just, well, what's my tithe? Okay, I'm going to give 10%, and the rest is mine. It's that every single dollar, and, and nothing's more spiritual. It's not more spiritual to pay your taxes than it is to go on a vacation than it is to um, you know, buy a new car than it is to... Um, you know, yeah, yeah, essentially, every single, this, yeah, so there's nothing more spiritual than buying a car, taking a vacation, buying food, paying off debt, paying taxes, and so on. These are all responsible uses of his resources. So that's what, that, what I used to think is that it was just my tithe, and then, like I said, everything else was mine, but that's just not the case. It's every, every, if every dollar is his, then then every decision it affects, uh, every decision is truly a spiritual decision. Let's go to the next slide. Um, one back. Okay. Um, <laughs> one forward. Yes, Matthew 6, 21, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, and so to me what this means is that our finances are a reflection of our priorities. Um, so, 
So if you could take a look at your checkbook or your expenditures, all these sort of things, you're going to get a, you're going to get a picture of where your heart really is. Maybe your heart is on having some fun, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Maybe your heart is on survival, so you've got to pay your bills, you've got to have a you know, roof over your head, clothes on your back. Maybe yours is shopping. I want to go splurge into these things. Um, maybe it's kingdom-focused. Um, but you're really going to get a picture of where your heart is if you're looking at your finances. And if you don't know where your finances are going, you don't know where your heart is. <laughs> and so you need to know where your finances are going. And, you, and, and, and maybe there are some things that are out of line that God needs to change. Um, but you have to know where your money is going um, to figure out um, where, where your heart truly is. Let's go to the next slide. So from Matthew 25... Um, 14 to 30. This is the parable of the talents. So it says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on a journey, on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the master who had received the one talent came. Oh, yeah, the, sorry, the man who received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and the one, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, so obviously not all of this is about our future in heaven, but, um, and not all of it's exactly about money, but I think we can really um, learn some important lessons from this. So can we go to the next slide, please? So the first thought is that the amount doesn't matter. You see the, um, the servant with the two talents and the five talents. Um, they had different amounts of wealth. So you may say, hey, I'm in this financial position. I don't have a lot of money. Or I'm in this position where I have a lot more money. But the Lord said the exact, or the master said the exact same thing to both servants, no matter how much they had when they started. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. So don't feel like you can't have a God-led financial plan if you don't feel like you have an abundance of money in front of you. Um, I want to compare two stories here. One from Ron Blue's book about a retired pastor, and then to a somewhat all-too-common um, story about, you know, some of these people that we idolize, these you know, sports superstars that make millions and millions of dollars. So for the retired pastor, um, this particular one never earned more than $8,000 in one year. Now, this was back in like the 80s, so it was a long time ago, but he never made more than $8,000 in a year. So I met this humble man because he wanted to know if he had enough financial resources to live out the rest of his life. 
at the time of his question, he was 80 years old. He had been retired for 20 years, and recently his wife had required full-time nursing care. His question, therefore, was a justifiable one. As I generally do, I began to ask some questions before giving advice. First, I asked him if he had any debts. His response was no, and, went on, and he went on to say he had never borrowed any money. He never made more than $8,000 a year, mind you. Um, I asked him, why not? He said, because if he borrowed money, he would have to pay it back someday, and he couldn't afford to pay off debt, feed his family, and tithe. My second question was to ask what resources he presently had. He indicated that in his wife's name, he had about $250,000, and in his name, he had $350,000. Needless to say, I was impressed. Over $600,000 in cash accumulated by a couple who had never earned more than $8,000 per year, and this was in 1982. One thing bothered me, though. He had not mentioned any stock investments, and yet in looking at his tax returns, I noticed a substantial amount of dividend income. He revealed that at retirement, he had invested approximately $10,000 in the stock of a new company, and at the present time, the market value of the stock was over a million dollars. Wow, $1.6 million of cash in stock, and he had never earned more than $8,000 per year. Now, I want to put that into perspective for you guys. So let's say he, it said he retired around age, he was 80, he retired at 60. So let's say he worked from age 20 to age 60. So that's 40 years of working at $8,000 a year. That means he never, he never could have possibly made more than $320,000 in any one given year, salary-wise. Yet he had turned three, or the Lord had turned $320,000 into $1.6 million. That's a five-fold increase in, his, in the Lord's wealth. So basically that would be like taking one talent and turning it into five, or five talents into 25, or 10 into 50. And that's a real-life example. That, I mean, we're not just making up stories here. This is a man that um, Ron Blue actually worked with. Now let's compare that to Ben Baker. Um, and this is not to, you know, condemn Ben Baker or anything like that. Um, he's, uh, he's actually had a, a good story out. I read last night, I was looking back over this, I was trying to look up to see if it was uh, um, like a made-up story. Uh, and I, I read like some of his actual words, but let me, let me just tell you about his situation first. So in 13 seasons in the NBA, he made over $100 million. $100 million. And does anybody know what he's doing right now other than me and Jennifer? Starbucks, yes, exactly, yes. Uh, Vin Baker is working at Starbucks right now. He's training to be a manager. And that's not because he wants to. That's because he has to, because he has burned through every single dollar, um, and, and he is broke. So you've got a man that had $8,000 a year, never made more than $320,000, versus someone with $100 million. And the one that never made more than 8000 is a millionaire, and the one that made $100 million is broke. So the amount truly does not matter. Don't look at your situation and say, hey, I don't have a lot. I'm never going to have a lot. Um, Lord, I'm just in such a you know, desperate situation. Just know that the amount doesn't matter. God can do amazing things. He cares more about your heart than he does about um, the amount of money you have. Um, now, like I said, Ben Baker, he's kind of turned his life around. He had been an alcoholic, all these different things. He turned away from the church, um, but now he's actually um, he's a pastor, and he's, he's working his way um, he, he's had a heart change, and he's in a much better situation. So don't feel bad for Ben Baker. Uh, so let me go to the next slide, which I think is probably one of the most important slides that I have. Um, so this is a page from Ron Blue's book, and this, this is a financial planning process flow sheet that he puts out. So the top here, you see you have your income coming in, and then you have four categories that when you spend this money, it's gone. You're never getting it back. It's never in your, in, in your pocket again. Three of them are pretty much required 
taxes, we all, all of us have to pay taxes. If we have debts, we have to pay our debts off. And giving, as Christians, I believe we should be tithing at least 10%, and, and God may call you more, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But those three are required. So the only thing you really have control over is your living expenses. So the only, the only thing that we can, that we can really do um, to reduce our expenditures is spend less on our living expenses from day to day. Now, when all that money is gone, when those four rows are gone, you, sub- you take your income, subtract those four rows, you have something called a cash flow margin. And the cash flow margin is what I really believe is what makes a difference between the retired pastor and Ben Baker. It's whether you live up to, if you spend every single dollar that you make, if you push, push your living expenses up so high, you're going to prohibit yourself from getting this positive cash flow margin. Now, cash flow margin is where true wealth and your true ability to meet your long-term goals is found because it, it enables you to, to reach um, your goals. If, some, if you could do a one-click. Yeah. So when you have a cash flow margin and you have money that you're not spending, you can use that money to then make more money. Um, so that's the appreciation of assets, and that's what enables us to go into uh, future goals. Give me one more click. Now let's imagine that you have now got rid of all your debts. Let's say you've taken this positive cash flow margin that you've been cutting out because you've been spending less on your living expenses, and you've poured that into your debt, and before you know it, you've, you've knocked debt out in your life. If you can knock debt out in your life, then what do you have more money for? You have more money for giving. Maybe you've heard Gabe and Sarah's story, and you say, hey, I, gosh, I'm so, I want to be a part of this, but I just I don't see the finances in front of me because you've got all these debts on your plate. Well, maybe in 20 years from now, well, first of all, maybe God will still call you to do something today. So I'm not saying that. But, uh, uh, but, um, but let's say 20 years from now, you are in a much better position because you've paid off your debt. Maybe you're paying um, $800 in a month on debts or $1,500 a month or $2,000 a month on debt. What if you had that money that could go into mission work or could go into God's kingdom? What if you had that money to go into living expenses? So you say, hey, I've buckled down. I've, I haven't spent that much money on these things. I'm going to enjoy some things a little more. I'm going to go out to eat a little bit more. I'm going to go on a vacation with my family, or I'm going to invite everybody on my family on a vacation or something. like Whatever's on your heart. Um, but if you can cut out the debts, you're going to have more money to go to giving, living expenses, and cash flow margin. And like I said, cash flow margin is what unlocks the door to the next slide. So this top one here, it might be a little bit difficult to read, is cash flow margin and the appreciation of assets from the last page. Um, as your cash flow margin and you, your assets appreciate, you'll have a growth in your net worth, so the Im- um, overall amount of money that you have. And that growth is what's going to enable you to move towards your long-range objectives. Things like, hey, maybe I want to start my own business. Hey, maybe I want to pay off my debt like we talked about last time, that we already kind of talked about how cash flow margin can enable us to pay off debt. Maybe it's lifestyle desires. Maybe it's that hey, I want to move into my dream home, but I need to save up a nice down payment for it. Maybe it's, I want to go on this, this awesome vacation. I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, or I've always wanted to go to Australia, or whatever you want to go. Those are two I want to go to. <laughs> so uh, maybe it's giving, as I've talked about. Maybe it's paying for your kid's college, or maybe it's for financial independence. Um, or I, I don't like the word financial independence as much, but fi- you know, more and more growing of financial peace. Um, so... But none of those things are going to be available unless you can create a cash flow margin, unless you can spend less than you make and take that extra money and put it towards future goals. You're never going to be in a position where you can do these long-term goals. Um, so, so like I said, these are two of, my key, two of the key slides. If you don't get anything else, please get this. If, you don't, if you're not building a positive cash flow margin, you're, you're going to um, lock down doors for your future. You're going to spend on a day and not have the ability to spend for tomorrow.
Um, Ron Blue says, a no today is a yes for tomorrow. And so we have to, sometimes I have to say that to Jennifer. Sometimes she has to say that to me. Uh, and um, so let's move to the next slide. Um, so guys, I, to just give you some thoughts on the power of interest, I want to go over the rule of 72. And the rule of 72 basically says if you, if you take whatever interest rate you can earn, um, you, you take that interest rate that would take the number of years to double and then times the number of years and it equals 72. So that's, it's a little confusing. I'm not explaining it well, but let me give you some actual numbers to show you. So if you could gain 7.2% interest, it would take 10 years for whatever investment you had to double. So let's say you had $10,000 in... Um, you know, and invested in something, and you could gain 7.2% on it. That means in 10 years, you wouldn't have $10,000, you'd have $20,000. And then in another 10 years, you'd have $40,000. So in 20 years, without working, you've gained $30,000. I think a lot of us would like to have that. Um, so the power of interest really is, it's really what makes the difference when you know people say the rich get richer and the poor get poor. That's because the rich are making money off their money and the poor are losing money on their money. Let's do an opposite example. Let's say you have a credit card and you're losing 18% interest on that. It would take just four years for that to double. 18 times four is 72. So do you want your money to be losing money or do you want your money to be gaining money? That's really the question that you have to ask yourself. Um, and the way that you, your money gains money if you have that positive ca cash flow. If you if you go into debt, whether it's your house or your car, um, credit card, whatever it may be, you're going you're gonna to your, put yourself in a position where you're going to lose money. Well, house is one, is the one exception I would say to this because, um, you know, if you buy a car, you, you drive off the lot, you've, heard, you've probably heard people say you're going to lose tons of money just from driving off um, the lot. So you're going to have a depreciation in your assets. In your home, your home tends to either stay even or gain some money. So I don't, I don't necessarily lump the house as heavily into this, but it's still true. If you were able to buy the house outright, you wouldn't be losing any money on that, like 4% interest rate, whatever you may have. Um, so let's move to the next slide. So let's go back and look at the unfaithful servant. So he said the unfaithful servant didn't even lose any money, yet he was considered a wicked and lazy servant. Now, how do you think the master would have responded if there was a servant when he came back? Let's say that same servant that just gave him that one servant back, talent back. What if he came back to him and he said, I actually owe five talents. I'm sorry. I went out and I bought a car and I got, um, you know, like, I got a car. I had a nice meal. I've been having a good time. I'm sorry. How do you think the master would have responded to that? It's not a responsible use of, the, um, of what God's given us. Let's go to the next slide. Um, so this brings me to tip number three, which comes from Proverbs 22.7. Um, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. That is a very strong term. The borrower is slave to the lender. Do you want to be a slave? You know, we talked about God has the power to break every chain. I truly believe that, that God-given principles to managing the money that we have can help us break the chains of debt. Um, so... Tip number three is to avoid a lifestyle of debt. Um, as I said, I think the house and a mortgage is really the only exception to that, and I'll give you some general rules on um, what, what kind of... Uh, I'll give you some general rules on that later. Let's go to the forward in the next slide. So this, let's look at maybe a common amount of debt for someone today. Let's say this, this is a young couple, and they've, um, you know, maybe they're a year or two out of school. They've accumulated $4,000 in credit card debt. They've got a car, so they're $15,000 in debt there. Their undergraduate loans are $40,000. You may be looking at that and saying, that's huge. Or you may be looking at that and saying, that's a really small amount for loans. <laughs> I don't know your position. Um, you might have a mortgage of $150,000. Maybe you'd spend a lot more than that. But this average person maybe would be $209,000 in debt as soon as they're getting started in their career. 
Now let's look at their monthly payments, how much is coming out of their wallet every month because of this. 102 for the credit card, 222 for the auto loan, undergraduate loan 460 and their mortgage of 717. So they're spending $1,500 a month just on their debts. Um, now that's $18,000 a year. How you, so you would then, just, to, just for this person to afford their debts, they need to probably make, after taxes and everything like that, they probably need to make something like $24,000 just to pay their debts and do nothing else. So that is really the damage of debt. And I just want to, I'm sorry to harp on it, but that is really one of the major things that I think is a barrier um, to creating a God-led financial plan. Let's go to the next slide. So our musical interlude is not working. I'm sorry. I was going to have a two-minute video um, from YouTube. This guy is D1DEE dash one, uh, and the song is No Note. Um, it's having no car note. This guy also came out with a song called um, um, Sally Maybach. Is that the name? Yes, Paying Sally Maybach. So um, this, is, this is a rapper, and he made, uh, he's a Christian rapper. He made, he got a, a big paycheck, and he went, and he paid off all his student loans, and he made a song about it, how he finished paying Sally Maybach. And now, <laughs> and now in this song, he talks about how he's driving around in his 1998 Honda Accord, even though everybody's like, hey, you're a rapper. Why are you driving this old car? He's like, because I want to be smart with my money. The car still works. Why do I need to buy something new? I mean, it's, it's fine. And he's like, in the song, he says, um, he's like, I'm going to use all that extra money to build up my savings, and I'm going to use all that extra money to go on a nice vacation. Like, instead of spending it all in this car, he's going to spend it on things that he really cares about. Um, and maybe you're a car person, so you do need to spend, maybe one of your goals is to spend money on a car, but um, you might have other goals, and don't, don't put all your money into, into your car, but, or, or your student loans, because when you, when you can take that money back, remember that other slide, that person had 707 on their mortgage, they had $1,500 that they were spending in debt, so they still had about $800 in non-house um, debt that they were spending. Now, if they could take that $800 into that positive cash flow, can you imagine what they would be able to do in the long run? And you may not know how much that can actually enable you to do in the long run. And so that's what the next slide's about. So what is no car payment worth? The average new car payment in the, in the United States is $503 a month. Now let's take that, and if we could invest it at like 8% a year, and I, I, there may be some debate on what you can get and that sort of thing, and that's okay. But let's say you could get 8%. We'd be really happy with that. Um, and you could do that from age 25 to 65 years old you would accumulate $1.56 million. Now, if you're going to say, hey, I want to be more conservative, I only think I can get 3%. I have that on here somewhere. Even at 3%, you'd still have nearly $500,000. If you could get more than 8%, let's say you get 10%, that's been the, the average S&P return since inception in 1928, that would accumulate $2.67 million. Now, Dave Ramsey, he always says, like, just get you in a good stock mutual growth, what does he say, good growth mutual fund, you get yourself 12%. And, 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 and so he'll, he'll give you this number, and he'll say it's $5.6 million or something. Because like I said, every notch you get up on that interest rate is really going to help you. But regardless, it doesn't matter. Any of those things, getting any amount of money returned, you're going to be, and putting money away, you're going to be able to accumulate a good amount of money to help you with retirement or your other goals, whatever it may be. So how do we get there? We've talked about you need a cash flow margin, but how do you get a cash flow margin? Let's go to the next slide. So tip number four is you need a budget, a written monthly budget every single month. If you don't have one, I don't care how much money you make, I think you need a written budget. Um, you, you may say, I've got so much, it doesn't even matter to me. But you can either be, <laughs> I don't know if we have a lot of people like that, but um, you can either be reactionary in your spending or you can be intentional about your spending. So you can tell your money where to go or your money can just go somewhere. Um, I think you should tell your money where to go. The first step in this is to figure out where your money's going. So it's kind of the, the bottom portion here, but I said track your spending. Whether you need an envelope system, whether you need to write everything down, 
oh man, Jennifer used to hate me for this. Um, I had these little note cards in my wallet and I would literally write down every single expenditure. I said, Jennifer, you got to write down every single dollar you spend. And she would just get so annoyed with that. So I said, um, luckily Mint has made things a lot easier for us because it takes all of our money and it, put, it shows us exactly where it, where it goes and we categorize it and you, you put it, it takes some work. I mean, you need to be looking at it every week or two, but uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, admit.com is, is amazing. It's a free tool, and that's another thing that's really neat about it. There's some other great resources out there. EveryDollar.com is a Dave Ramsey tool, um, but that one is, the basic one's free, but if you want to have it really track your money, pull your expenditures in, it's going to be uh, $99 a year. You Need a Budget a really neat one, too. Um, it's $5 a month or $50 a year, but they do a lot of teaching on their site about and helping you set long-term goals. Mint can kind of help. I, I, I kind of find the the future goals kind of difficult to use on Mint, but um, the other thing is an Excel spreadsheet. So I have this, he, he goes through and shows you how, um, if you want to buy this book, this one was from the public library somewhere that Ben bought, and then I, <laughs> um, you can get it from the, I don't know, a lot of libraries have it, Amazon. Yeah, it's, yeah, um, but it's got somewhere in here, yeah, it goes through like budgeting, basically. It'll, it'll give you budgeting sheets, and you can take those and create those in Excel yourself, and that's actually what I did um, after I read this book, I had a different budget, but it was a little more confusing. He, he does a really good job um, of kind of mapping out how to, how to do your budget. But you need a budget. If you don't have one, get help. You can ask me. You can ask Ben. I'm voluntolding him. Um, <laughs> but but you, need, you need a budget, okay? Let's go to the next slide. Oh, wait. Oh, one other thing I'm going to mention from the last slide is... Um, most of us, a lot of us get paid every two weeks, um, yet we're paid, we, so if you're paid every two weeks, there's 26 pay periods in a year. Um, so there's some months where you only get two paychecks, and then there's two months a year generally where you get three paychecks. So maybe you want a budget based off of just two paychecks a month, and then you could take that extra um, money, use those for your non-monthly expenses. So maybe you have things that are going to come up. Um, you know you're going to have auto insurance at some point. You know you're going to have Christmas gifts. You know you're going to have you know, car expenditures or healthcare expenditures. So take some money and have it set aside for things that, um, that are going to come up bigger expenses. You can kind of have a fund for those things if you want to. All right. So the first step in building your budget obviously is having one. But then <laughs> the, the next step as you're building it and you're being intentional about where your money going, I would encourage you to start with the tithe, okay? Um, Jesus endorses tithing. So I know there's some debate people will say, well, we're in the, you know, we're in the, the New Testament. We have freedom in Christ, and we're not necessarily bound to the Old Testament standards. But my, my, my argument for that would be a lot of times the New Testament standard is truly even higher than the Old Testament standard because it's a standard of our heart and the condition of our heart, not just a checky box. Once you say, oh, I've given 10%, now I'm good. I'm going to go off and use all the money for myself. But it's saying, hey, it's all yours, God. What, what would you have me give? And he may call you to more than 10%. He may call you to well more than 10%. I don't know what he's going to call you to, but I highly doubt he's going to tell you less than that. Um, now, you can seek him in prayer in that, but I, like I said, I highly doubt he's not, he's not going to tell you to at least do this 10% standard. So in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So He's saying you should, you should do both. I mean, you should have your heart in the right position, and you should be giving your tithe. Let's go to the next slide to talk about what the tithe is. Um, so from Leviticus 27.30, it says, One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. 
Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. So two principles here. One is that it's a tenth of your expenditures. That is what the tithe is. The second is that it should come from the first fruits. So let's talk about this challenge that Ron Blue gave me, and I'm very happy about it in the end, um, but it was difficult at the time. And that's the first fruits. So what's the first fruits of your income? Is that what you have when you take home, when you get your, your paycheck? Unfortunately, it's not. You, get a, you have a base salary, and they are already taking taxes and all these other things out of your paycheck. So your first fruits is what, is what your overall salary is. So let's say you get, let's go to the next slide. Let's say you get $40,000 a year in your salary. Let's multiply that times 10%. That would give you $4,000. Now, if you were doing after taxes and all the things that are taken out, you may only get, on a $40,000 salary, you may be only taking home 30, 32, I don't know exactly, $30,000, something like that. So if you tithe off of that, you'd be given $3,000. So like I said, I, I believe the Lord's standard is the first fruits. So that would be taking whatever your salary is, multiplying times 10%. Now, if you're gonna do it on a monthly basis, this is, so go plug whatever number you have into this and then, and then start with this as the first port of, portion of your, um, of your budget. So $4,000 divided by 12 would be $333.34 per month. If you want to do it on a monthly basis, you're saying, hey, I'm going to do my monthly budget. Here's my total. Or maybe you want to do it after each paycheck, and that would be $40,000 divided by those 26 paychecks a year, and you'd give per paycheck each time you get paid. I don't really care what you do, but I, just, I really do think that this is, is the standard. I believe it is biblical that we should be tithing. Let's go to the next slide. Oh, actually, go back. Or just ignore this and listen to me. Uh, <laughs> so um, a couple other points that I wanted to make is if you're paying on your total amount, on your gross income, so the amount that you're paying, like that $40,000 a year, when you get your tax refund, you wouldn't then tithe off that as well because you would have already had that accounted for. But you wouldn't have accounted for things like a, a, tithe, um, like a bonus or something like that, so you would then tithe off the total bonus that you received. And then just the final point that I just want to just continue to harp on is this is not about giving a specific dollar amount. This is about your heart condition when you're, doing, when you're tithing. So um, if you can't give with a joyful heart, that's the first and foremost thing you need to seek God about. And you need to go before him and say, Lord, I'm really struggling with this. I don't know how I'm going to make I don't know how I'm going to do this. Or I just don't want to do this, whatever it may be. And just express to him what your heart is. But then say, Lord, I just ask that you bring me in line with what your will is. And Lord, I want your will more than what I what I want. And so I'd encourage you to submit that before him. So don't, don't do it because Stephen said do it. Do it because you and God have a conversation and you believe it's the right thing to do. Okay, let's go for it. Yeah, so um, tip number five is to spend less than you make. We've talked about this over and over and over again. This is probably the key point. Don't buy stuff you can't afford. Um, so vehicle recommendations. Um, this is a Dave Ramsey principle. Your total vehicle value should be less than 50% of your yearly income. So if you make $50,000 a year, that means $25,000 on cars. So if you have a car value, let's say you bought a new car and it's $23,000, and you're like, oh, I need another car, and you get another car, $23,000, and you're, you're spending $46,000, but, but your annual income is only $50,000, that's going to stretch you too thin, okay? Um, so I encourage that principle. Less than 50% of your yearly income should be on your total value of vehicles in your home. And the next point is you don't need a car payment. We've already talked about that, how, much, how damaging a car payment or all these things are. If you want a car, buy what you can afford. Save up money and spend, you know, maybe you get a car that's $2,000, $3,000, $4,000, $5,000. Um, and then you can take whatever you'd be putting in that, that car payment and start saving for a nicer car. So you say instead of giving them the car dealership $500 a month, I'm going to take my $2,000 car over 10 months. I'm going to save 
$500 a month, and I'm going to have $5,000, so I'm going to take my $2,000 car, trade it in with the extra $5,000 I had before. You know, you got a $7,000 car. You can do that cycle again and again and again to get that nicer car if you want to, but save up. Don't go into debt to have these vehicles. Um, so house recommendations. Um, I would aim for, and this is a Dave Ramsey principal, white coat investor. Almost everybody I've read has encouraged doing 20% down on a 15-year mortgage. Um, now, I personally, we, we didn't do that. I, I hadn't read them when I, when I, um, I hadn't read them when I, when I bought, when we bought our house. Um, but if you have a 30-year mortgage or you, or you don't have a lot of money down on it, you can start putting money into that extra, into that house. So instead of paying whatever you're paying, you could, you could work towards after your debt, after you're out of debt and all, on the other debts, you could put an extra payment into your home each month. So you could be paying two payments a month on your house to basically turn it into a 15-year mortgage. Um, the next principle is to spend less than 25% of your take-home pay per month on your mortgage and kind of your housing expenses. Some people would say up to, I think 33% was what we talked about. Um, so, but somewhere in there, 25 to 33%. But, the, but the, the big ticket items are two of the big things that um, prohibit people from creating that cash flow margin. So that's why I wanted to talk, talk about those. Now the real danger, or one of the, one of the serious dangers is credit cards because as we talked about that power of interest, if you've got an interest rate that's 18%, it can really, eat out of your money. So you really don't want to put things on the credit. And maybe you have a better rate than that. But even if you do, you don't want to be losing money. You don't want to be buying things you can't afford. You want to save up for those things. And um, then my last thing I want to talk about is just kind of college. So if you're at a point and you're thinking about going to college one day um, or you're in college, one of my thoughts would be to, is to go to the least expensive college or go to the one that's going to cost you the least. So you don't need to go to the, that fancy private school um, that would be terrible for you anywhere like Duke. Like, don't go there. So <laughs> it's just a bad idea. Um, <laughs> and, and what I'd encourage you is when you go there, have a plan. You know, don't just go to college to go to college. Go to college because you have a plan on how that's going to increase your ability to increase your, um, your income. Or, or maybe you do have a purpose. Maybe there is some, something you have a heart for. But um, like maybe you want to go into teaching or maybe you want to go into ministry and you want to have the, be equipped with these tools. Those are still investments, even if, even if they put you in a tighter financial position. So I'm not saying don't go to school. I'm just saying have a plan and a purpose for why you go. And then when you go, get out as soon as you can. That means if you can get out in three years, get out in three years. If you can get out in four years, get out in four years. Don't try to, I see so many people, like I have you know, patients and they're going five, six, seven years to college. And I'm just like, that's just extra money out of your pocket. You don't want to do that. Um, so let's go to the next slide. So I'm kind of coming to a close here. Um, in 30 minutes, I can't tell you everything you need to do to create a God-led financial plan. I've, I can't even tell you the number of hours I've invested just trying to understand everything, uh, understand my current finances and future finances, and there's still so much I have to learn. The, the way to do this, though, is to start educating yourself. If this is if this has triggered something in you, I encourage you to start reading. You know, get a good financial book. Get, um, you know, pick up Ron Blue's book. Pick up Total Money Makeover. Ask Ben for another good book. Um, whatever you need to do, there's a lot of good books out there that can help you um, understand finances better. Um, and then you need to create a plan. Um, you need to sit down with God and say, God, what are your, what is your goals? What are your aspirations for me? Where do you have me going with my finances? Uh, or with your finances, um, and sit down with him and just ask him to hash out a plan for you. Um, one plan I would ask you to consider is the Dave Ramsey Seven Baby Steps. Um, it's one of the most used plans to help 
get folks out of debt. He's way more effective at getting people out of debt than I am. So he's very motivating. If you're, if you're in debt and you want to listen to somebody, you can, there's lots of different ways to listen to his radio show. So let's go to the next slide. So there's seven steps in the, in the Dave Ramsey seven baby steps. Um, the first one is to save an emergency fund. So that's a $1,000 uh, starter emergency fund. So you set that aside, and that's for true emergencies. So those are just totally unexpected things that come up. That's not, oh, I need that new coat, or I need that, you know, I need that um, whatever, whatever you're out shopping and seeing. It is for true emergency things that you that come up that you, you just are completely unexpected. Once you've saved that $1,000 emergency fund, he then encourages you to start paying off all of your debts, except for your house using a debt snowball. So that's starting with your lowest um, amount debt. So let's say you had a debt you had one of $200, $1,000, $40,000. You do the $200 one first, and then instead of paying a monthly payment of $3 a month or something like that, you're going to pay that whole thing off, and then you're going to just use that to build momentum and eventually create this snowball to crush those other debts. Um, because as you pay off debts, you're not going to have those minimum payments, and then those can go into your other debts. So once you've paid off all your debt um, but your house, you're going to create a bigger emergency fund. You're going to create your true emergency fund. Probably six months of expenditures is what most people would recommend. So you're not going to know how much your expenses are per month until you budget. Exactly. You have to budget to know what your expenses are. So you take whatever you're spending per month, multiply it times six. That's what you need to have. Now, in any step in this, if you, if, if you have a hit that goes backwards, like let's say you have, you're on step two and you're trying to pay off all your debt and you have to eat into your emergency fund, you go back to the previous step. So you always want to go back and rebuild that emergency fund. Let's say you get back to step number three and you've built up that six months is, the six month, and then you're going to the next step of investing 15% of your gross income toward retirement or your total income toward retirement. And let's say you uh, hit comes up in the budget or something like that, a big expansion, you take, it takes three months of your ex emergency fund out, then you want to go back and build that step and then go back to the next step. Step number four is to invest 15% towards retirement. Um, and some people would say bigger. Well, I mean, White Coat Investor says 20% because, mainly because physicians start so late in life and he feels like they need more to, to help get them there. Step five would be save for your kid's college. If you want to pay for your kid's college, maybe you don't want to pay for your kid's college, and that's perfectly fine. Um, <laughs> That, that's, there's nothing evil about that. It's something that, but you need to let your kids know kind of what, what you're, you're planning on doing as well if you're not going to pay for their college or help. Um, number, step number six would be pay off your house. So once you've got all these other pieces in line, pay off that house early. Start dumping extra money into the house to get that, that payment out of there. And then seven is build wealth and give. So you're not doing this just so you can feel good about yourself or accumulate all this wealth. It's, it's so, that, so that you can go continue to move towards God's purposes for your life. So next slide. So the summary of the tips, step number one is recognize that God owns it all. It's all his. As we recognize that he owns it all, we need to seek his plan in prayer because it's his money anyway. God, what do you want me to do with it? Set your goals with God's help, not alone. Plan for tomorrow and not just for today as you're seeking his plan in prayer. Step number three is to avoid a lifestyle of debt. Next slide. Create a written budget. If you don't have one back. Create a written budget, and, and like I said, I'd encourage all of you to start with a tithe. Seek God about what that means for you. Now, I, think it's, I think he makes it pretty clear, but, but seek him if, if you have questions. Um, step number five is spend less than you make, and then number, step number six is educate yourself and create a plan with God. And when I say educate yourself, if you need help or you have questions, ask. Don't just go on this journey alone. I mean, I've, I've spent a lot of time learning about this, but it's one of those topics that's just not talked about very much. I mean, people just don't, they, they don't share. And so if you feel like you have this set up, you've got a good guy-led financial plan, share with someone else. If you see someone struggling or, you know, you feel like someone needs help, point them to Dave Ramsey or point them to, 
Ron Bloor or whatever, but or and, and then I'll actually actually talk with them and help them through, help them create a budget if you, if you're already set up for that. So that's all I got. All right. How about I turn this off? Let me find my notes. I downloaded the updates, so I don't even know how to open up my phone.